Welcome to the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast, a show that is dedicated to educating you on applying science-based training, nutrition, and mindset strategies from some of the top minds in the industry to help you build a leaner, stronger, and more confident self. I'm your host, Jeff Hain. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast. Today's a Q&A episode and I have three questions I want to dive into. But first, before I do that, I just want to go over a few ways you can help support the podcast. So first, if you're sick of just focusing on weight loss and instead want a body recomp, then my one-on-one online coaching program program is for you. I help you lose body fat and build muscle with my body recomp training, nutrition, and lifestyle methods. We look at things like your lifestyle and biofeedback to individualize your training and nutrition program to you and your specific needs. There's also at least one or two bottlenecks that we figure out that are keeping you from seeing the results you want to see. And that's outside of the training and nutrition protocol. And so this is keeping people back more than they think. So if you're interested in uh, learning more, you can click the link in the show notes, or you can reach out to me on Instagram and we can continue this conversation in more detail. Next, if you aren't interested in full coaching, I do one-on-one consultations where we troubleshoot any issues you have and or map out a game plan for the next couple months. And again, the link to that is in the show notes. If you want to learn more about a body recomp, what it is, how to do it, then I have my free masterclass on body recomp. Uh, and you can find the link to that in the show notes as well too. And next, if you don't, Follow, make sure you follow me on Instagram, Jeff, H-O-E-H-N underscore, and that's where I'm most active on social media. And then lastly, if you have found this podcast to be helpful in any way, if you could leave a rating and review, and that will help more people find this podcast. And again, I appreciate everybody who listens. And with that out of the way, let's dive into today's questions. The first question was oh, one I really enjoyed answering and thinking about. So it was, if you could only use one rep range for all exercises, which one? And it was four to eight, 10 to 15, 20 to 30. So I thought this was a good one because the way this person asked it, it was like, it wasn't like eight to 12, which would probably be my answer there. It was four to eight, 10 to 15, 20, 30. So it's like kind of a good, it breaks some of it up and it makes you really think about what you would do. I think each one's, if you did, so we know that to in order to build muscle, you can do this in a wide rep range. So long as you're taking the muscle fairly close to failure, that's it. It doesn't matter what rep range you, you work in there. We do want to make sure that again, we take the muscle fairly close to uh, failure. And that's going to be one of the most important things there with that. So we have this wide range, so then it's okay. But I do think each rep range is going to have pros and cons to it. You could theoretically build muscle in any of these rep ranges. Uh, we really have to to think this through uh, there on that. And I think, it's, I don't know if the person just wanted a quick, hey, I would just do four to eight, but I like to think through it. And I want to give my rationale. I'll go in order of which ones I choose or the order that I choose them in. And then, I'll, and then I'll talk about why I think that is and whatnot. So for number one, or actually let's start from the bottom up. So number three, this is the one that I would not choose. Um, this wasn't even really a thought. This was pretty easy here. And that's the 20 to 30 rep range. I put this in last just because 20 to 30 reps, it sucks. The You end up, it, it's really hard to get too close to failure in these higher rep ranges because you have other things going on, right? Whether that be from a cardiovascular standpoint, just like the, maybe the burn. And then I think mentally that can, you just feel a little bit more fatigued in these higher rep ranges. And therefore you, you end up stopping the set. And I think it, it ends up being a lot higher volume. So the, the fatigue aspect, even though you're going to be using lighter loads, is still pretty high in this rep range, which is counterintuitive. Now, I do think this rep range is solid for if you have any type of injury or anything like that. This can be solid because you're not using heavy loads. If there's any joint injury or anything like that, this could be a, a solid, but really in, in my response, I just said, this is in last place because this type of training just sucks. There's really no way around it. It would be awful if I could make it work, but it would be awful if that was the only way I probably wouldn't grow as much muscle because of 
it would just suck. I think that's the biggest thing. We have to look at our personal preference here with these rep ranges. What are you most likely to stick to? And if 20 to 30 just sucks, you're less likely to push it. You're less likely to push close to failure when you need to in these, especially in these higher rep sets. And so these are all the reasons why I would put 20 to 30 way in last place. Plus it's just really probably least conducive to a lot of exercises like 20 to 30 in the leg press, that's terrible. A bench press or any pressing movement 20 to 30, like that just sucks. To me, I would use 20 to 30 in more isolation type exercises. So I, I, I think right then and there, there is some limitations to doing 20 to 30. What would be some times that you would need to use a 20 to 30 rep range? Again, like I said, injury, if you don't have access to heavy weights or like I get, yeah, heavier weights. So again, like I, the one time I think about where this was a rep range that was probably used a little bit more was during COVID when the gyms got shut down and people didn't really have time to get new equipment. We relying on body weight type stuff, bands, things like that, probably a little bit more light dumbbells that you had just laying around the house. And that's where, again, using that 20, 30 rep range could be helpful, but again, it's probably going to suck. So I wouldn't, that was then last. This is where I want to get that one out of the way. Now I'll start, I'll go with the one I chose first and then we'll do number two and I'll give you my rationale for it. So I went back and forth on this between four and eight and 10 to 15. Cause I was like four to eight would be good. You can really use pretty much any exercise. Obviously, if you're doing like lateral raises or bicep curls, you're going to be on the higher end of this and whatnot. But I think four to eight is that's going to be relatively heavy and what's going to provide the stimulus that you need to build muscle there. But I ended up ultimately going with the 10 to 15 rep range. And the biggest reason for that was I think this would allow for the most productive volume over time. I would probably spend more time closer to 10 reps on most things, 10 to 12 reps if I had to choose. But but yeah, that that's the one that I would choose there is, is 10 to 15 because again, I think it would allow for the most productive volume over time. Four to eight is in a somewhat close second. I just think for me, four to eight on everything would lead to a lot of joint issues. And that would be the biggest thing. Again, I think the four to eight rep range would be would be great. But for me, Personally, I, I just see that leading to a lot of joint issues, which in turn would lead to maybe some some tendonitis, less motivation to train, right? You're hurt, so you're not able to push it. So that's where why I ultimately went away from the, the four to eight. That 10 to 15 is just going to allow for that more productive volume. You're going to be, I'll be able to use a heavy enough load to where I won't have to go to the 20 to 30 rep range, but I'll, it's also going to be light enough on the joints to where I, I, I'm not going to have to worry about all that extra joint stress. So if I did choose four to eight, I would definitely spend more time in that, mostly in that six to eight rep range. Like I said, here in the 10 to 15, I would still spend most of my time in like the 10 to 12, get up to 15 on a few things. Again, more isolation type stuff. But again, I just felt like all around the 10 to 15 rep range would be best for, for being able to have the most productive training uh, cycles and spread out for the longest period of time while minimizing injury risk. So that's why I ultimately went with this. Uh, I would love to you know, hear what you guys would choose. So you can reach out to me on Instagram and let me know. You can email me jhfitness1991 at gmail.com. And you can let me know if you guys agree with me. If you would do a different rep range, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. But I think ultimately four to eight or 10 to 15, if I were to choose for somebody else is what I would choose. Again, I would still probably pick 10 to 15 for that reason. Now, somebody really was into strength and they really like lifting heavy and they have shown that they are pretty resistant to injury from a weight training standpoint. Maybe for them, I would choose closer to that four to eight rep range. But for most people, I would go into that 10 to 15 rep range there. So the second question was, so they're on a lean bulk is 0.3 to 0.5 kg weekly weight gain a good rate. And I wanted to go over this question because this is a common thing of, oh, hey, I'm gaining this amount of weight. Is that good or bad? And, and the main reason I wanted to go over this is because you want to base these things off of your current body weight. So I would need to know your current body weight to answer this. And really that was the main thing that I was trying to get out of here. It's, I'm going to go over what this looks like, but there's no 
weight gain per week, that's going to be good. It's all going to be relative to your body weight, right? Because again, if somebody's 120 pounds versus 200 pounds, well, that's going to give you two very different answers there on that. So this, anytime, if you have these questions, you need to think about, okay, how's this relative to my body weight there on that? So that was the, the main thing that I wanted to go over. First of all, that's asking the wrong question there. It's, it should be, Hey, here's my body weight. Here's my rate of gain. What, how is this uh, weekly rate in a uh, lean bulk here? Am I optimizing that? And again, in a lean bulk, what they lean bulk, what they're, what they mean by that is they want to build as much muscle as possible, minimize fat gain, right? You're never going to, it's never going to be one, like hundred percent muscle gain. There's always going to be at least a little bit of fat gain in this process, but the goal would be to decrease how much fat gain you have in the process for guidelines on calorie surpluses with the goal of maximizing muscle growth. The general consensus consensus is around point to five to 0.5% of your body weight per week. So I'm going to do some quick math here because I want to see what, so that's 0.6 pounds. And then, and then we're talking 1.1. So see here. So this rate of gain would probably be sufficient for somebody who is around 200 pounds or so there on that, if we were to, to put those numbers in. So again, it, it ultimately comes down to what your body weight is. So if you were 200 pounds, that would be a good weekly weight gain. Now, if you're 120 pounds, that's that would be way too much. That would probably be a little bit more on the higher end than what we would want. We'd be doubling what you'd want to go at. Again, we want to make sure we take our body weight on these things. Also, for a calorie surplus and for a building phase in particular, the more I learned, the more I'm like, we probably want to zoom out and look at our monthly trends versus week to week, right? Because I think week to week doesn't tell you everything. For that, we'd want it to be one to 2% of body weight per month. And I want to bring up an example here of myself where uh, a couple weeks ago, we got back from our honeymoon. I took my weight. I knew that there was probably some water weight noise. It was right around thanks US Thanksgiving as well. So there was a lot of things going on there with that. And then the following week, I think my average weight was like, it, it, it was like 158 point something. And then the next week, for whatever reason, it was just low. It, it, I, I still don't know why that was. I just don't know if I just didn't eat enough, if I ex expended more energy, stress. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was we got puppy. I don't know if like stress was playing a role in this. I was just depleted. But even in the mirror, I could tell. So my weight went down. Then this previous week, it jumped back up again. And it was basically in line with where it was two weeks ago. So really what I'm getting at here is we want to be careful with these week to week trends. We want to zoom out and look at the bigger picture because for whatever reason in a building phase, I do find that there is a little bit more fluctuation in weight. So I think it's a good idea to zoom out versus, oh, hey, this week I was this weight. The next week I was that. Oh no, I'm going too quickly. Give it some time. Maybe you make some small adjustments in that week. So for example, in that week, I was like, okay, I probably need to increase my food intake a little bit here. And I did. And then my weight came back up and it was again in line to where it would have been a couple of weeks ago there on that. Just first, there's no amount of weight that is, is good, right? It's all relative to your body weight. And again, we want to be around that 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per week or one to 2% per month. And, and like I said, we also want to probably zoom out and look at that monthly trend versus getting caught up in week to week trends. Because I feel like in the past, what I would have done is I would have really, if I was just very focused on scale weight, I would have just like really pushed calories. And then I would have, that would have led to a ton of extra fat gain. I did increase a little bit, but I didn't go crazy with it. I still was like, okay, hey, I got to slow down here a little bit and just make a small change. Just make sure you aren't under eating basically there on that. So hopefully that example was helpful there on that. But again, and same thing with weight loss. We want we want to look at your body weight and that's what's going to be the most important there. Um, for that, we're looking at anywhere from 0.5 to 1% of body weight uh, per week there that you would want to lose on that. So again, it's all relative to your body weight here. So my last question for the day was, are, they, are, the, are squats good for building hamstrings. And to start this out, uh, no, they're not. So the, the squat is not a great hamstring builder, right? You do need to do squats will hit uh, quads and, and um, your glutes, um, but they're not great from a hamstring perspective, right? So you do need to make sure you do direct hamstring work. And again, we can do this through a uh, hip hinge or some sort of, of curl 
knee flexion, basically. And so what this kind of leads me into is I want to go over what lower body movement should be in your in your muscle building program, right? If you want to build like an overall balanced physique in the lower body. And so I want to go over my staples and then I have in most programs and then based on time and preferences. So for staples, we're going to do a squat movement, right? This can be a back squat, leg press, pendulum squat, hack squat. And so here with this, it doesn't hit the one, it doesn't hit the rectus femoris, right? That's the quad muscle in the middle and nor does it hit the hamstrings very well. So because of that, we will need to make sure those muscle groups are hit. And then again, the squat pattern will hit the glutes somewhat, but again, we need to make sure we're doing more than just the back squat for our lower body. The second kind of staple movement is a hip hinge. The hip hinge is a hip dominant movement pattern. It's not knee dominant. This movement is super important because it loads the posterior chain, hamstrings, glutes, erector, spinae, et cetera. However, the hip hinge does not do a great job of hitting the short head of the biceps femoris. Because of that, it might be a good idea to include some hamstring curls, which we'll talk about. So, so some example movements of the hip hinge are going to be Romanian deadlifts and good mornings there on that. So category two is going to be movements based on time, but uh, they are in pretty much everyone's program. So the first is going to be a knee extension, which is going to be a leg extension or something like a sissy squat, right? Um, this is going to hit the rectus femoris, which is the muscle group, the quad muscle that does not get hit in the squat pattern. So this is going to help with overall quad de development. Again, you can go without it, but it's probably smart to include it in your programming if you want overall leg development there. Then we have knee flexion. So knee flexion would be something like a lying or seated leg curl. This can be a great way to further develop your hamstrings as hip hinges do not hit the short head of the bicep femor femoris. So again, we have, okay, hey, squats aren't going to hit the, the hamstrings, but then within that, we're going to do a hip hinge, but the hip hinges might not be great at fully maximizing your, your hamstring. So with this, we want to include some sort of knee flexion exercise. And then to even further this more, a study found that the seated leg curl may be more effective at building muscle in the hamstrings than the lying leg curl. Now, I think it's good to still do both, but if you are struggling to build your hamstrings and you have an option of a seated leg curl and a lying leg curl, I would start with the seated for a, a period of time there with that. And then we have a single leg slash lunge movement. Again, this is in most programs, but it's based on time. And again, you can make this either more quad or glute focused based on goals and preferences. And then category three, this is going to be uh, based on needs once in time. So we're going to have our hip extension and glute stuff. Glutes get hit well with squat pattern. They get hit well with hip hinges and with some single leg work as well. So adding in more like direct glute work is just based on preferences and needs. So again, things that we're going to add would be like hip thrust, glute bridge, kickbacks, things like that. Next and final thing here for leg development is going to be calf stuff, right? So again, this is going to be based on time and preferences. Uh, if you want to improve your calves, then it is important that you train them. And saying this, I prefer a straight leg calf raise. This is where you're standing as your main calf movement, but you can throw in some bent knee raises. Think something like a seated calf raise for overall development. If you aren't happy with your calves by going to straight leg, but I find that straight leg is the way to go. And within that straight leg, really try to focus on that length and portion of the movement, right? So if you watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this, but if your foot's flat and then you come down, that's going to be that length and portion, right? And then when you come to the top, that's going to be the shortened position. And honestly, you could probably almost skip out on that shortened position for the, the calf raises to save some time there, there on that. So again, with the calf, like the calves, you just, you just want, if you're happy, if you don't want, you don't want to grow your calves or you're happy with your calves, you really don't have to train them. But if you want to further develop your calves, you do need to train them, spend more time doing straight leg work where you're standing up, spend more time in the lengthened position. And then lastly, the other, the other tip for calf training is slow on the way down. Stop that bouncing stuff that doesn't work. You're doing too much weight and you're not getting effective training for your calves. So hopefully that answers the question on do squats, train the hamstrings. Again, to summarize, no, they don't. You need to make sure you include other movement patterns into your training. So you got a full leg movement overview here for building muscle. So that's it for today's episode. I will chat with you guys next time.
Thank you for listening. If you want more free content like this, follow me on Instagram at JeffH91 underscore or visit JHHealth.net. See you next time.